You're listening to Alabama Tradition with Ryan Fowler and Martin Houston on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Championships. 27 SEC titles. 131 first-team All-Americans. 70 postseason appearances. 39 postseason victories. This is Alabama football. And this is Alabama Tradition with Martin Houston and Ryan Fowler on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. tradition the past present future of the alabama crimson todd mark houston along in just a couple of seconds we're going to welcome him into the party and we're going to talk some alabama crimson todd football we're also going to have a chance to listen back to a couple of different conversations but as we start with breaking news at the university of alabama uh, students are being brought back to campus and we're learning a little bit about these measures Football started on June the 1st in preparation for June 8th voluntary workout, and they're measured and followed by men's and women's basketball on June the 8th in preparation for a June the 15th voluntary workout start date. So they begin to measure and the different uh, options they have. Extensive testing has been and continues to be conducted in accordance with the guidance from the University of Alabama system track. Uh, Task Force, U.S. President's Advisory Committee. Anyway, that stuff's uh, you know kind of boring a little bit. But you go into the different things. Required training for student athletes about prevention and mitigation measures, hand washing, social distancing, limited workout groups to no more than 20 student athletes or less, and implementing physical distance in all workout facilities, no showering of towels, using disposable towels and or water bottles, masks being worn in all facilities. So those are some of the guidelines the University of Alabama has released and said, hey, this is what we're doing to protect our athletes. And we've seen the number travel up a little bit. Let's talk to Martin Houston. Martin, I hope all is well. Just trying to cover a little breaking news involving the University of Alabama and some of the releases they've had. Yeah, absolutely, Ryan. I know that there's been some, I guess, ups and downs in this process, but uh, I'm glad to hear that the university, both from a, a student standpoint as well as from an athlete standpoint, are, are making some decisions. It gets us back to normal. Uh, you know, is that a guarantee that we're going to have school football you know, season? No, but at least you're not making radical decisions of canceling things uh, before they have to be canceled. And, you know, if you're going to have all these new measures in place, I, I think what they're doing by doing this is actually gives them a practice run of how to manage and handle, you know, if someone gets, you know, uh, uh, the virus and how they quarantine, how they react, how they respond, how do they handle, et cetera. So I'm excited about what's happening. Martin. Let me talk about the different things around this virus and the impact. You know, we talk about a home field advantage for a couple of minutes. Right now, 
I feel very confident that we're going to get the game back. I feel that we're going to get college football back. The only problem is I don't know what it'll look like. And what I'm talking about is the fans, the requirements of those, the way that you bring them back. And it's not going to be the home field advantage. I think Alabama's trip to Baton Rouge, I don't know what Baton Rouge will look like when Alabama gets there in November. I don't know what Georgia will be welcomed into Bryant-Denny Stadium with that type of fans. From a player's standpoint, how much of the energy is fed off of the crowd? Oh, I mean, it's huge. Uh, I I personally um, would not like, if it's just about playing football, then you would see the same energy, Ryan, um, when you get ready to play uh, against LSU that you see when you play directional view. Uh, if, if it's not about the fan and the size of the game and the importance of the game. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, if you're playing against LSU, you know you have to you know, be more prepared for it. But there was nothing that compared to uh, the energy of the fans. And, uh, you know, when I was playing, Ryan, we used to, I used to love to play on the road because those fans, there was nothing like going to Knoxville uh, and hearing – uh, uh, 90,000 people booing you, and then hearing 10,000 uh, from about the second, third quarter on saying nothing but roll tired from far up in the right corner. So, and then playing in Baton Rouge at night, nothing like that atmosphere. So, to me, it would be a, a, a little different playing the game without the fans. When you think about the energy, I mean, think about it from a Georgia perspective, okay? They're going to be breaking in a, a new quarterback, regardless of who that quarterback may be. Uh, Jamie Newman, the transfer out of Wake Forest, if JT Daniels gets the eligibility appeal and it goes his way and he's eligible, who, whom, whomever the quarterback is, if you come into Bryant-Denny Stadium, that's now an easier game. If you have 30% less capacity, I mean, could you imagine, I mean, just for a minute, Bryant-Denny Stadium, 30%. I mean, Nick Saban complains when the students leave at halftime. Right. That's what I was going to say. Think, just think about how Coach Saban, you know, there's a reason he wants the fans there. Right. Think about a guy we're trying to get, even on the recruiting trail. It has so many uh, impacts. The reason Nick Saban wants the fans there is because he wants the, those freshmen to play in front of a crowd. He wants those seniors in high school to see what it's like to play in front of a crowd like Alabama because it's nothing like most of them have ever experienced. Uh, when you hear the crowd uh, of 100,000 cheering for you versus, you know, your high school of, of 1,800 or whatever that number is, uh, and, and all of that is gone. And then, then you take it to the fact, Ryan, that think about play calling and all of that, how that changes everything. You know, you can't disrupt the quarterback. And we talk about Big Mo. Well, Big Mo's gone if all of a sudden there's no uh, crowd noise. So, when you know, when you think about this game and what it will look like, I mean, Mark, where are you? Let me just – I don't want to pin you up against and, and, and go, you think we'll get 100% back in the stadium? I would not be surprised by it, uh, but – you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, I, I think it's going to be a lot closer, Ryan. I, <laughs> I, let, me, let me try to say this. This is real, this serious, and I'm not knocking that. But I also think that uh, the reality of it is, Ryan, 
there, there, there's a lot of learning of how to deal with this thing going on right now. And if we don't have that, man, you're talking about devastation um, that's going to travel for a little while. Um, and it may not be just in direct help uh, and sickness, but it, it will have a major impact. So I think everything that can be done will be done. Uh, to get close as possible to that uh, uh, 100% capacity. Well, and, and, and whatever that number will be, uh, regardless, uh, I think it's also fair to say that fi- uh, the college football side of thing, this model will not work. It, even at a 50% capacity would be a financial nightmare for these colleges. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about 85% of your budget coming for your college Think about if you lose 50% of your budget and then your budget is 85% of the department and they've already lost their budget for this year. And so you're now looking at uh, uh, how do you you go into next year when you don't have the money for the other sports? So if it doesn't happen, it's going to have an ongoing impact of uh, several years if this football season doesn't happen. Yeah, and it's, it's going to be uh, a lot of conversation. Mark, but on the field side of things, a theme that we have kind of stuck with this week is talking about Alabama winning a national title. Give me one reason why Alabama will be hoisting up a national championship trophy down in Miami Gardens at the end of the college football national championship game. One reason why you think Alabama will be hoisting up a national championship trophy. Um. It's kind of a combo answer. Uh, I think offensively, we're still going to be able to get into those 40s, Ryan, from a point total. To me, Mac Jones showed that. Uh, Auburn was the best defense I think Alabama played against last year. And we still got in the 40s, and he had two interceptions. Uh, so that part's going to still be there. But I think they're going to have a defense that, that may give up points, Ryan. Uh, and that's not the problem. Every defense gives up points these days. But the, the, the difference is uh, we're going to have a defense, I think, that can get stopped uh, at key moments. Last year, you just never felt like when you had to have a stop that we could get it. And I think that will be the difference. Um, and just, just a quick sidebar, I think we'll have a kicker that can actually kick a 35-yard field goal. Let's do it. I mean, I, I would – I mean – could you imagine the reception? Hopefully, there's a big fans uh, that are headed, you know, inside the stadium. It's a good percentage. I mean, we hit a 45 yard kick or a 40 yard kick, and it's consistently uh, between the uprights. It doesn't look like a duck flying through the air. I mean, man, we may have a uh, an electric atmosphere that'll be painted. I mean, it'll be kind of a little sarcasm, but uh, it'd be nice. And hopefully, you know, we talk about that mental side of the game. Finding a way to get that young man some confidence, uh, regardless of who it is, uh, will go a long way. So the other part of it is, tell me a reason why Alabama will not win a national title. One reason why they will be prevented from hoisting up a trophy down in Miami Gardens. Um, wow. Um, of course, the easy answer would be just to flip what I just said sure, from sure. a def- right. defensive standpoint. But I, I think um, the, the other side is this offense just doesn't gel. Um, you know, the, the insertion of the uh, new offensive lineman uh, that needs to come to replace last year, 
uh, as well as uh, the wide receivers not meshing well. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, to me, you have an identity crisis. And you, don't, you, you don't have the wide receiver explosive offense you've had, but you're not willing to go back to the, the, the power eye downhill. You kind of get caught up in a no identity on the offensive side of the ball, I think, is, is the only thing that I see uh, from Alabama. I'm answering this from Alabama, not answering it from somebody else coming along being better. But uh, I think that's a, a possibility as they go from, you know, you think about the two personalities you've had at quarterback uh, the last few years, Ryan, pretty strong. And now Mac Jones, and if you just lose your identity, I think it could hurt from an offensive standpoint. Hey, Martin, uh, one of your former teammates was now on the College Football Hall of Fame ballot. I thought we were going to skip you, 92 guys. I mean, y'all had a pretty good season there, but uh, I thought we were going to skip you guys and maybe come back or loop back around. Uh, Instead, Antonio Langham has been added to the College Football Hall of Fame ballot. There's two players from Alabama, Chris Samuels, number one, and Antonio Langham. What made Antonio Langham such a great player uh, that would deserve recognition from the College Football Hall of Fame if he's able to get the votes? Instinct. Um, just, you know, flat-out instincts. He could he could, he could, could do all the coverages, Ryan. He, he could play zone and break on the ball, you know, uh, by reading the quarterback's eyes. But then he was also uh, a great um, uh, cover guy. Now, now, whether he liked to hit or not, that's still up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but just from a, a pure coverage guy, Ryan, an instinctive guy, uh, ball skills, uh, meaning that the ability to not just track the ball uh, while it was in the air, but to, to close on it and get his hands on it and catch it clean. Uh, he, he had a lot, a lot of skill sets. And uh, shout out to. Langham for you know I, I'm assuming he's the first one from that, he that is. era to, he is. to, to yep. get to get added. So uh, congratulations to him and a guy who who well deserves it and single handedly I know there's a lot of things went into college football and, and over the you know hundred plus years, uh, but he single handedly uh, probably saved a lot of jobs, a lot of careers, and changed college football with that instinctive play that he made you know in the sec championship game so um, yeah because if you guys would have got beat uh, as you've mentioned many many times here uh that would have probably changed the direction of that championship game yeah it, it probably wouldn't have been as as, as you know uh, applauded as it ended up being about being a great game it would have been considered a stupid game <laughs> uh, uh you know <laughs> amazing how that one play flipped everything on its head you know set the course for us to go on a course to win the national title, but also set up people couldn't wait to the next year now because now all of a sudden, Ryan, you know, that one game, uh, you still had a chance if you were on the other side, no matter, you know, how dominant the other team was, you still had to win it on the field. And that was the first time a championship was decided that way. Martin Houston, better known as a former fullback at the University of Alabama. It is Coach Houston as he's getting his players ready for high school football uh, in this Tuscaloosa area. Coach him up, Martin Houston, and uh, have an awesome rest of your day. And we'll talk to you next week on Alabama Tradition, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate you and appreciate you letting me run out here a little bit today and 
uh, take care just, of some kids. And, and just give, give them a, guys water breaks, back. okay? Give, give them guys water breaks. I mean, don't don't go back to old school Coach Stallings. And, uh, I mean, give them water breaks, Martin. Hey, Ryan, Ryan they, they now with this COVID, they actually have to bring their own individual water bottles. So, hey, they, they get all the water they can bring. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Hey, man, have, hey. A, good, have a good night. Stay safe, man. All right, man. We we out here trying to make fullbacks great again. So, all right, be good. All right, bye. <laughs> make fullbacks great again. That is Martin Houston's statement. He he wants to get the fullback involved in college football, uh, the past, present, and future. The Alabama Crimson Tide, Alabama tradition. The past, present, and future of the Alabama Crimson Tide. You are listening to Alabama Tradition with Martin Houston and Ryan Fowler. Your connection to Tuscaloosa and the University of Alabama Athletics on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. Steve, I hope you're having an awesome day. Welcome back to T-Town. Hey, hey, Ryan, it's great to be back on the show. I appreciate you having me on. And it's always a good time to be talking college football, especially when the magazine's on the newsstands. And, uh, you know, we also have some optimism that the season will start on time. So, hey, all good things right now uh, for us at Afon Sports. 94 days away, I just feel that uh, we're going to get college football back. I am with you, um, it, you know, for a couple reasons. We're seeing, you know, positive trends with teams getting back on campus for voluntary workouts. We're also seeing colleges make plans to have students on campus. And, you know, I, I think in the bigger scope of things, the, the football season and the way how valuable it is for programs and what it means for the athletic department as far as revenue, just as, as safe as we can do this, and I think we can get it in. So it's going to require some adjustment and some safety measures that we're not used to, and it's going to be an unusual season. But I'm feeling pretty optimistic as we get into early June. Steve, when you look at the challenges of this virus, what did they place on you and your staff as you guys were coming together and trying to make predictions and projections? It was very difficult. Um, it's the most difficult magazine that we've done in my time at Athlon Sports. You know, it was just that we didn't have spring practice to kind of get us insight into quarterback battles, maybe which freshmen will make an impact this year, or guessing a lot more on depth charts. And I think just in the bigger scope of things, you know, teams that are making a lot of changes whether it's a first-year head coach, a court, new coordinator, new quarterback, uh, I think those were the ones that we had the hardest time figuring out. But I also think those might be the teams that are the hardest to um, predict and also might be the hardest to, to navigate this stretch. Essentially, if you have a lot of returning talent, a proven quarterback, kind of a proven system, I think you can probably navigate this period of time better than the ones with a lot of changes and a lot of new coming into this season. When you look at the Alabama Crimson Tide, as you try to project what this team is going to look like, I mean, I've told you before, a two-year drought is kind of like walking in the desert without any water here in Tuscaloosa. Uh, how can they get back to being a part of the college football 
playoff conversation? Yeah, we've got them finishing number two in the country, so we've got them making the national championship game. Just you know, too much of a track record there at Alabama, as, as you know so well. Uh, Alabama misses the playoff for the first time since the inception of the playoff, and you know it was you know it's like the you know things are go, are going amiss in Tuscaloosa, but that's not the case. I mean, Alabama's roster talent still ranks number one in the country, and you look at the schedule this year. Georgia, you know, maybe the toughest game uh, on the schedule in, in Tuscaloosa. They got to go to LSU, but Texas A&M, Auburn. Uh, come to Tuscaloosa. So we like the way the schedule sets up. But I also think this is just, we believe in the Nick Saban Alabama revenge tour. And I think with the offensive line that Alabama has, we project that to be the best offensive line in college football. You had in Najee Harris, Trey Sanders, uh, I mean, a backfield that is loaded. Alabama has the quarterback uncertainty. I- I'm really not that worried. I, I think the, the, this offensive line, Running game can carry teams. And then on defense, getting Dylan Moses back is huge. And that's one of the reasons why we think Alabama's defense will be better in the front seven. It's just having kind of that quarterback back on defense this year. So we like Alabama to make the national championship game. I think roster talent, coaching, it's all there. The quarterback play will probably decide whether or not uh, Alabama wins it all or, or finishes second to Clemson. But we feel pretty confident, whether it's Mac Jones or, or Bryce Young, that Alabama will be just fine at the position this year. Steve Lassen right now, Athlon Sports, which is the publication right now. We all get excited about college football, and we talk it year-round, but this time of the year, when we get under that 100-day mark, and we're down 94 days away from Alabama, USC, Arlington, Texas, we're talking with Steve about the Athlon publication that's right now on your supermarket, newsstands, your bookstores throughout the country. You can find it right now, the SEC edition, uh, covering the University of Alabama. If Alabama's not there, Steve, what will be the reasons that will prevent them from getting there? You know, I think we, you know, we, we kind of talked just a second ago that I'm pretty confident in the quarterback position. But what if the quarterback position doesn't turn out that way? What if Mac Jones you know, struggles? What if Bryce Young isn't ready? And on defense, I think you could look at the secondary. There's a lot of turnover at that position. You know, we like Patrick Sertain as an All-America corner. But that group will be in transition. Now, the, the flip side of that is it's a strange year for quarterbacks in the SEC. There's really not a clear-cut number one quarterback going into this year. So some of the secondary concern might be alleviated by the uncertainty of quarterback. So if Alabama doesn't get there, I think it goes back to just the secondary, the quarterback play. But I also think you know, what happens if Georgia figures it out offensively? Um, LSU doesn't take a drop-off. When you compare Alabama and Clemson, Alabama has more threats to number one. Clemson's got a pretty clear path. I mean, they could be favored in every game by 10 or more points this year. You know, Alabama's got to play LSU, A&M, Auburn, Georgia. And that doesn't, you know, if they make the playoff, they could have to play Ohio State in the first round or Clemson. So Alabama's path is significantly tougher than Clemson. And I think Maybe the SEC just beats up on itself, but we like Alabama as the best team uh, at the end of the season in the SEC 
even with those threats in mind. When you look at the SEC West, if you're trying to predict to order a finish, maybe that next team that, that you think can kind of push Alabama maybe around in the SEC West. We've got LSU finishing second. And, you know, we looked at Texas A&M as well. And, but we still think LSU is the, the second best team. Certainly a lot of change there in Baton Rouge. New quarterback, um, Joe Brady, who was so instrumental in bringing that offense to Baton Rouge, left for the NFL. Bo Pelini is now the defensive coordinator. So they have a lot of transition and a lot of new. And you wonder how this offseason will affect them with just that many changes. And, of course, LSU hosts um, Alabama as well. But when you win the national championship with maybe the greatest one-year season by a quarterback in, in college football history, 15-0, and and you have that many personnel losses, I, I think it's going to be hard for LSU to get back to that level. We still think they're very good, but we think probably 10-2, and maybe 8th or ninth best team in the country good. Just think too many losses, and we think Joe Burrow is going to be really tough to replace, even if Miles Brennan plays well this year. That's, that's big shoes to fill. We continue the conversation going over to the SEC Eastern side of things. Um, can Florida push the dogs? I think so. We have Florida over Georgia. Might be a little surprising. Oh, wow. And this was our t- toughest pick in the top 25. We like Florida, I think, for some of the reasons that we talked about a few minutes ago. No offseason, um, you know, no spring practice. Georgia's got a new offensive coordinator, new quarterback, three new starters on the offensive line. Um, they've got to find some receivers to surround George Pickens with. They've got a great defense. I mean, Georgia's defense was outstanding last year. It, it might be the best in the country once again this year. But I also think when you start looking at crossover games, Georgia gets Alabama. Florida hosts LSU. That plus one might mean a lot because if Georgia loses to Alabama, Florida beats LSU, Georgia has to win out. And, and, you know, we've seen they've stumbled against South Carolina. They lost at LSU uh, two years ago. I think the schedule and the continuity of Dan Mullen, Kyle Trask, and the way the schedule sets up, we like Florida to edge Georgia this year. But we've got both of them in the top ten. So the the top of the SEC is very good this season. Steve, when when you go into the conversation outside of the SEC, uh, is there anybody that can find a way to compete with Clemson over in the ACC? Not this year. It it, it is Clemson and everybody else. Um, We have North Carolina, uh, Mac Brown, finishing as the second-best team in the ACC, finishing number 18. We also have Virginia Tech in in the top 25 as well. But I think a a big problem that the ACC has, it's Florida State, it's Miami. It's the teams that are traditional powers who are struggling right now. And for Clemson to have more threats, the the ACC needs Florida State and Miami to be good. And just from a personnel standpoint this year, Clemson is loaded. Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, I mean, they're going to score a ton of points, and their defense is always good. So, you know, part of the reason why we picked Clemson at number one is we think they have the easiest path to the playoff, and we also think they're probably the best, you know, overall team with all the pieces coming back this year. So 
We've got Clemson at one, North Carolina at 18. That shows you the gap in the ACC this year as far as how wide it is. Steve, when you go to the Big 12, who do you have coming out of that league? With a big surprise, we've got Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, you know, you can basically pencil in Lincoln Riley's team for 11 wins, a quarterback that goes to New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony, and a trip to the playoffs. And we've got them making the, the college football playoff once again. No surprise. I mean, Oklahoma is loaded on offense once again, even though they're losing Jalen Hurts. Spencer Rattler is a new quarterback, breakout candidate, already among the uh, the Heisman frontrunner. But I, I think in order for Oklahoma to kind of muscle their way into the national top three with Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson, uh, it's defense. That defense has to get better. We saw last year how much it struggled um, against LSU. So we've got Oklahoma at four. They're our pick to win the Big 12 and be the last team in the playoff. And then, you know, we've get down to number 14 at Oklahoma State, which is the second, our second-best team in the Big 12 this year. And the Big 10, what do you think? Uh, who comes out of that league? We've got Ohio State. We've got Ohio State finishing number three. Um, this team has a difficult schedule at Oregon, at Penn State, so they will have some tough um, you know, speed bumps in their schedule. But this team is loaded on offense with Justin Fields and those receivers. They are, they are losing a lot on defense, and, and Chase Young and Jeffrey Akuda, uh first-round picks. And I think looking at the, the rest of the conference, we have Penn State finishing second, and we have them finishing number five nationally. So that Ohio State-Penn State game in Happy Valley in October is going to be pretty big for you know bragging rights in the Big Ten. But we like Ohio State one and Penn State a close second and finishing 11-1 second in the Big Ten. And you go to the Pac-12, uh, who do you have coming out of that uh, conference? Yeah, we've got Oregon, but we've got them finishing number 10. Um, oh. you, know, we're, we're, you know, really not a national championship playoff uh, you know, caliber team right now in our mind. Uh, Oregon... The interesting thing about Oregon is known for offense, but it's actually their defense this year that's the strength of that team. Um, they are loaded on that side of the ball. One of the better defenses in college football. They have to find a replacement for Justin Herbert, at quarterback. They have to restock the offensive line. And, of course, there's the big showdown uh, against Ohio State early in the season. So we like Oregon in, in our top ten, but I also think that they're probably a two-loss type champion. Looking at eleven and two at the end of the year, um, we have USC, the second best team in the Pac-12. Um, but I think that, that you know, this, there's so much uncertainty in that league with quarterback play, uh, coaching, that maybe there's a wild card that comes out of there. But just think, Oregon, just with the way that Mario Cristobal, from a culture standpoint roster and defense think they have to be the favorite this year steve when when you look back at an article that's published right on the front of your website and this will be the final question then we'll talk about the publication and how people can get it and maybe if you're living in a different region how you can get the cover that you're looking for uh steve but you you go to your breakout players top uh 35 breakout players on athlonsports.com you've got evan neal listed there from the university of alabama why you know, we really think that Alabama's offensive line will be the best in college football this year. It starts with Alex Leatherwood at left tackle. But, 
you know, Evan Neal is such a key piece to that because he started as a freshman and now kicking out to right tackle. I think he's going to just take a big step forward in his development. And I think having him at right tackle solidifies the offensive line after losing a first-round pick. And you know, we've seen this kind of trend where you know Alex Leatherwood starts, gets better. Now he's the starting left tackle, one of our All-Americans. You know, I just think as a big-time recruit, he played a lot last year. And just think he's, getting, he's going to take that big step forward we usually see out of Alabama offensive linemen. So uh, we think he's in for a good year, having picked on our all-conference, um, all-S team as well. Steve, let's talk about the publication. For those, and we have a lot of great Alabama fans that listen outside of the area, I'm curious, when you look at ordering the publication, yeah, it's easy if you're here in Tuscaloosa to find the publication that you're looking for, but maybe not so uh you know, if you live in the state of Tennessee, the state of Florida, you may not want that cover. You may want another cover. How can people get uh, their cover and maybe the best way to order this if they're not able to find it one of their local newsstands? Absolutely. Our website, athlonsports.com, at the very top of the, the website, there's a Buy Your Magazine link. It takes you to our online store, and you can order any national edition or any SEC cover that you want. I've got the one with Devonta Smith uh, sitting here on my desk right now that I use throughout the week, and it's a great-looking cover. So if you're an Alabama fan and you want that cover and you can't get it where you live, our website, you can get it there and we'll ship it to you. Um, it's really the easiest and probably the fastest way to get it to you right now and get the cover that you want as well. Athlon Steve on the Twitter account. Athlon Steve, he's the college football editor for the publication. Athlonsports.com is the website. Athlonsports.com is the website. But right now, the college football magazine is out there, and you can find it. If you're going through the supermarket today, uh, find that newsstand. If you go to the bookstore, find the Athlon's publication. Uh, I promise you, we all need a little college football to get ready for the season, and uh, it's the uh, the one that beat everybody to the newsstand right now as we look for some college football news. Steve, thank you again for being a part of our show. We always enjoy the chats. Hey, anytime. Thanks for having me on. Hope we can do it again real soon and uh, keep the optimism going for for the 2020 to start on time. Thank you. Steve, stay, stay safe, man. You too. This is Alabama Tradition with Martin Houston and Ryan Fowler. On your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Look at J.C. Latham as a player and tell me what you see. Well, I'm glad you waited until today for us to get together. I finally had a chance over the weekend to uh, look at some of his film. And, you know, I, I think the, the things that jump out are, you know, things that can't be coached. I mean, when you when you have hand size like that, arm length and the footwork, I mean, you know, this kid, I, I wouldn't say as it stands right now on, you know, June the 16th, I would hesitate to say he's in the same position as a Cameron Robinson, a Jonah Williams, you know, even a Jedrick Wills, even though Wills didn't start as a true freshman. He was certainly capable of that. But Latham's close. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be real interested to see, you know, how he develops in his senior season. I think that, you know, you, you might could uh, speed things up a little bit if he can become an early enrollee and, you know, get on campus in January, but he he is very, very good. 
Um, I think his best football's in front of him. He hasn't played that long and uh, got everything that you look for. He, he's a prototypical left tackle without a doubt. What's your number one characteristic in a, a great offensive line trying to project from high school to the college side? You know, you can get into all the, the intangibles, Ryan, but, you know, it all boils down to, you know, the ones that end up being special. Um, you know, uh, somebody that's six foot six, 300 plus pounds is not supposed to be able to move their feet or have the body control that that list of names that I just rattled off to you. And J.C. Latham, you know, fits right into that mold. It's, you know, you, you got to be able to pick your feet up and replace them, you know, at a fast pace, you know, much more so, you know, when you're out there on that edge and pass protection at left tackle or right tackle. And, and, you know, that's what everybody looks for. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, big, strong, you know, physically tough-minded kids that can play. But whether or not somebody can play at the SEC level and have a possibility to go on to the NFL, it all boils down to the, foot, the feet. William, how do you think the lack of spring practice impacts these experiments on this offensive line for the upcoming season here in Tuscaloosa? You know, Ryan, I think it's going to specifically, I think, you know, if you want to point to the experiments at all the positions, not just the offensive line, you know, certainly I think it kind of delays. You almost have to hit the pause button on somebody like a – Dalcourt? Dalcourt? No, I'm not. I'm not I'm the quarterback from California, and I'm drawing a Oh, play. Bryce Young, Bryce Young. Bryce Young, you know, if he had had the reps in spring practice, could he put himself in a position, you know, not necessarily to challenge Mac Jones for the starting job, but, you know, Steve Sarkeesian is, is really, you know, kind of had a package and really a lot of experience post-USC. Um, you know, did a lot of good things with some quarterbacks. You know, when he was at uh, Washington as the head coach, Jake Locker comes to mind. But you, you kind of had a, you know, an asterisk um, by Young's name when he hit campus, especially now that he's added some quality size as to maybe whether or not there could have been a, you know, a Young-type package, you know, in certain situations as a true freshman. I think that's probably the, biz, the biggest asterisk. You know, these guys that are – you know, in play for experimentations along the offensive line are all, you know, kind of proven commodities. I mean, I think the biggest question mark, you know, for the 2020 offensive line is you've got a ton of depth, you know, at the three interior positions, but there's not really a guy that at this point in time that you can hang your hat on if you want to say that, you know, obviously Alex Leatherwood's going to be the starter at left tackle, and I would anticipate Evan Neal being the starter at right tackle. But who are going to be the first guys off the bench, you know, at both of those spots for this fall? William, a lot of different things that that we look at, but Landon Dickerson just grabbed my attention from so many different ways. And even during this coronavirus, I thought he took a leadership approach, and I kept looking at video clips that kept putting out, and I kept watching him kind of lead that offensive line. It just seems like maybe he's the natural leader, and he's been able to do it as a grad transfer, was able to make an impact last year, and kind of brought a different type of uh, personality to that offensive line. Yeah, he, he's an old nasty throwback, no <laughs> doubt. Um, and, and I think he has the you know the versatility. Um, you know, I think whether or not he stays at center or maybe moves over to left guard that Evan Neal's vacating is going to con- you know be contingent on the the development of Darian Dalcourt. You know, can they put Dalcourt at center? 
you know, move Dickerson back to probably his more natural position as an offensive guard, you know, if that can fly and, uh, you know, the chemistry and the consistency can develop there, I think that might be, you know, Leatherwood at left tackle, Dickerson at left guard, Dalcourt at center, Brown at right guard, Neal at right tackle. I mean, just on paper, you know, as we sit here in mid-June, that, that to me kind of looks like what might be the best start five at this point. William, do you feel with combining this offensive line's experience and the running backs in the backfield, we've had some analysts on from a national perspective. They think this offensive line has a chance to be one of the best in the country, if not the best. They said the best backfield, top to bottom, in the country. You're trying to break in a new quarterback. I mean, can we rely a little bit on the rushing attack in in 2020? I think so. And and I think a lot of people are, are discounting, you know, Mac Jones. Um, and his ability to make explosive plays. You know, I think, you know, everybody wants to remember, you know, the, the two pick sixes in, uh, you know, versus Auburn. But, you know, what I, I remember is, is how he battled back after those miscues and, and you know, did his part. Um, and, and I think, you know, to me, I think somebody else is really flying under the radar. And, and I think the only reason why you didn't see more of him last year is because of some guys with the last names of uh, Judy, you know, Ruggs, Waddle, and Smith. But, but keep an eye on John Mech. He is probably my breakout guy um, for this 2020 offense. I think he's really going to surprise some Alabama fans. Is there a player that may be a newcomer that you've watched some videotape and you see a player arriving and you're like, I cannot wait to see this guy on a collegiate field? Oh, I think the two uh, true freshmen outside linebackers, um, Sanders and uh, oh, the, Will the Anderson, George, uh, Anderson, Chris, yeah, a- Anderson. All those guys. I mean, I think once Braswell gets his weight up a little bit more, but Anderson and Sanders, I think, have a chance to uh, you know play early and often, um, especially with the departures that are gone. And you know, certainly, I think Alabama wants to get their pass rush back to where it was in uh, 17 and 18. Like, I think they took a step backwards last year. You know, probably could have, uh, you know, helped a little bit more if, if maybe a guy like Christian Bearmore would have been on the field more. And, and also, too, um, you know, I think there's some guys that might factor in um, at the inside linebacker spots that they can get the playbook down as well. I mean, I think the defense is certainly going to see um, some more new faces uh, more so than on the offensive side of the football. Today we've been asking the question, what could prevent Alabama from winning a national title? Yesterday we did the things that you were most confident in Alabama getting there and playing for a national title. Today we've kind of flipped the side and said one thing that will prevent this team. We continue to hear Alabama's defense reestablishing that dominance. Can you be dominant in defense in the current college football direction? I certainly think it's a lot more difficult, um, but you know, to me, I think the biggest thing that, that, you know, could prevent them from being in a position to compete for that national title is the same thing that's, you know, kind of been their Achilles heel over the last couple of seasons, and that's injuries. Um, you know, I, I certainly think that, you know, when you look at, you know, all three phases of the game, I think the defense is the, the area that needs to get more consistent, probably more so from a you know, a communication standpoint from the sideline to the field. You saw a lot of confusion, you know, a lot of hands going up in the air two seconds before the ball was snapped. That, that to me, is what really jumped out. I think if they can, 
get the communication down, you'll probably see the consistency become better. They, they've got a really, really good nucleus of players to work with over there on that side of the football. And, uh, you know, one of those guys that I expect to, you know, only at Alabama, you know, you, you see this over and over again, a guy, you know, fails to see the field for various reasons early on in their career. And, uh, you know, their, their, their first year that they get into a position or start or, or be a guy that plays a lot of reps. Um, and then all of a sudden you start seeing the, the mock drafts come out and the, the film cut ups over the summer. And, you know, now all of a sudden you're seeing all the whispers of, you know, Christian Barrymore's, you know, being whispered as a, you know, first round draft pick and he's never started a game. Um, but he is certainly somebody to, you know, circle and, and keep an eye on. He's, he's a very, very disruptive player. Um, you know, much, much, you know, different body build. He's taller and longer, but, um, yeah, I think he has a chance to, you know, make an impact, you know, much in the same way that Quinn and Williams did. He can become a dominant guy that opposing offenses have to game plan for. William, with the lack of spring practice, and we don't know, at some point this week, we're going to get some vote from the NCAA to add some July practices uh, to the schedule and even, you know, no pads, no helmet, just mental reps out there. Nick Saban talked about how valuable that can be. But just judging on what we know now, you think the game will be simplified uh, on the offense and defensive side? Well, first of all, I fully expect the NCAA, I don't know how many days or weeks, but I expect them to, uh, you know, add some additional practice time to make up for, you know, what was lost in the spring. Um, you know, that's been, I think, discussed ever since the decision was made to shut it down back in March and April. But, um, you know, Ryan, I mean, this team, you know, if you just look at it, um, and I think being able to get the kids back on campus last week, um, it is a big bonus as well. I mean, you know, being able to get them in, get them in the strength and conditioning program, um, you know, get the newcomers on campus and get them to kind of, you know, continue their acclimation and, and building chemistry with the upperclassmen, you know, is a big, big deal. I'm glad it was able to, you know, happen sooner rather than later. Um, and, and the good thing about this is, is it wasn't, you know, a conference by conference type, you know, situation. Everybody all across the country, um, you know, it's kind of had the same, uh, you know, monkey on their back to deal with. And, then, you know, it's a challenge. I mean, I think, uh, you know, not being able to go through spring practice, even though spring practice is nowhere near the, you know, the physical um, dawning task of, you know, 30 practices, 25 of them in pads like it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. You know, they've really scaled that back much, much in the same manner that, you know, there's really not a, you know, a true, you know, two-a-days where you're in pads both in the morning and the night. You know, all that stuff's kind of been sissified down. We're talking to William Barcher, former offensive lineman at the University of Alabama, Crimson Tide insider. William, I'd like for you to take Chris Samuels. Today he was on the College Football Hall of Fame. This makes the second consecutive year that he's been on this ballot, and we'll see if he gets enough votes. But when you think about Chris Samuels as an offensive lineman, what do you think of? Well, first of all, I'd like to see the list of the people that didn't vote him in last year. Um, <laughs> you, know, you, you talk about some football IQs that are south of 70. That'd be my first question. Uh, he's one of the best players, um, you know, in Alabama football history to, uh, you know, play that position. Um, you know, kind of had a, you know, kind of a slow start, you know, underwhelming career early on and just exploded as a junior you know, carried that on, you know, when he got to the NFL level and, you know, 
his injury was, you know, cut short, you know, by his spinal stenosis, um, you know, neck injury deal. But uh, just a quality guy. Um, can't say enough good things about Big Sam. He's, uh, you know, gone on and, and done some really good things at the high school level as a coach too. But you know, one of the one of the greatest of all times, I think, in any position in Alabama football. One of your former teammates, Langham, was also on that college football Hall of Fame ballot. Well, yeah, again, if somebody doesn't vote him in the first go around, then yeah, I'd like to see that list of voters again. Um, you know, holds still holds the career record for interceptions at Alabama, and uh, you know, you could probably go down the the list of everybody that was in that locker room with Antonio, and uh, you won't find anybody that has a bad thing to say about him. You know, as good of a player as he was on the field. You know, just a better teammate in the locker room, in the dorm. You know, always positive, always upbeat. And, uh, you know, he still lives here in Birmingham where I do. And I always enjoy when I run into him and get to spend a little time catching up. I don't know if he's ever had a bad day. I mean, he is just a guy that always smiles. Everywhere I see him, he's just a – he's always got a great personality about himself. Absolutely. And, and you know, I had a chance to talk to him. Um, you know, during the, the Nick Saban coaching search. And, you know, obviously he played for, for Coach Saban up at the Cleveland Browns and, and uh, kind of, you know, gave me a little bit of insight as to, you know, what it's like and how demanding he was as a coach. But, um, you know, those two actually still to this day have a really special relationship. And um, But, you know, Antonio is, is just one of those guys, like you said, you know, it's, if you're having a bad day, and uh, you want to call somebody and, you know, get uplifted and, and, and kind of change the course of your day, you know, pick up the phone and call Antonio Langham. You'll be in a good mood in a hurry. L.com.